Good afternoon. It's good to see you this afternoon. It's good to be in Bowling Green, Kentucky. My father hailed from here about an hour and 20 minutes away. Uh, he grew up in a little city called Morton's Gap. And uh, we, uh, I guess if you were to stick my blood this afternoon, Hillbilly would come out of it. So uh, he grew up in uh, a little city right near Mort, uh, Madisonville, Kentucky. And so uh, coming back to this part of the country is certainly a, a joy of mine. If you will be turning in your Bibles to James chapter 2, we'll be looking at that in just a moment. And before I dive into that text, I want to say just a few words. First of all, I want to say a word to the congregation. Starting with Hiram not too long ago, and one of the things that Hiram said about Lehman Avenue, he said, is, if you gave him a wall, he said, you could gather those people together and they could, they could try to determine how to bust through it. This certainly is apparent in what you guys are doing for the first time here at Lehman Avenue with this equipped lectureship and studying the book of James. So many details you've attended to, um, so many uh, finer points you've attended to, so much work in the background, so many different people we could thank personally for all the work that you're doing for the good uh, of the brotherhood here locally and also uh, abroad. So thank you, Lehman Avenue. Thank you, Hiram and Neil. Thank you, elders here at Lehman Avenue for all that you've invested into this cause. Also, before I dive into this lesson, I want to say a word. I have with uh, us this weekend uh, one of our elders from Warner Robins, Dave Domain. Dave, if you'll hold up your hand so they know who you are. There's a work that has begun in Warner Robins called the Georgia School of Theology. This is a preacher training school that's trying to help the Brotherhood and help Georgia in particular uh, recruit men to come and preach the gospel. And the first graduating uh, class will be this uh, summer in July. And so if you know someone in your congregation that's thinking about preaching, there's a couple different tracks you can take. You can do an intensive two-year training program there. Uh, you can move to Warner Robins and be a part of that. But if you want to take a little uh, bit more time, there's also a four-year track uh, that you could do with the Georgia School of Theology. So if you have a chance, be sure to meet Dave this weekend. Learn about the Georgia School of Theology. And if you know someone that is looking to uh, maybe have a career change, or if you're a preacher already now and you want to sit at the feet of Dan Winkler or Alan Webster or... Uh, some of these other Gary Hampton, our teachers in the program there, uh, please be sure to see Dave, and we'd be happy to, to help you with that. <clears throat> Partiality. In Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 23, the text says that partiality and judging is not good. We don't have to look very far this afternoon to see that in our world today, that partiality in judging is certainly not good. You go to a hospital, maybe you go to a hospital here in Bowling Green, and you think about a homeless man who goes into that hospital, and there is a very real and valid concern that his treatment or her treatment might be different than someone who is not homeless who goes into that same setting. You look around our world today and you look into the areas of the social and cognitive sciences this afternoon. And maybe you think about uh, various types of biases that exist in our world when you think about so many different cognitive biases that exist. Maybe you're familiar with confirmation bias. Here's a person who has a belief in their mind, has a, 
something that they subscribe to and they take these mental shortcuts where they continue to affirm what they already believe. It's called confirmation bias and it's a real problem in our world. Partiality in the social sciences is certainly not good. Maybe you think of the bandwagon effect. You look in Galatians chapter 2 and here is here's the apostle Peter that when the Jews are around, he acts a certain way. And when the Gentiles come around, he acts a certain way. And he's partial towards the Jews in front of the Gentiles. And here comes the Apostle Paul who confronts him. This sin of partiality is a very valid concern. It's called the bandwagon effect. Partiality and judging is certainly not good. You look in courts of law around America and around the world this afternoon. Partiality and judging is certainly it's certainly not a good thing. If you go to a court and you would expect that both the judge and the jury would not be prejudiced because if the judge or the jury are prejudiced, there is the possibility that severe injustices will occur to those who are accused. Partiality. What comes to mind this afternoon when you think about partiality? And what can you and I do when we think about partiality to make sure that there is not a beam in our eyes, to make sure that our eyes are not blinded, to make sure that when we experience certain things in life and confront certain circumstances and situations in our life, that we don't approach them with prejudice. We don't approach them with partiality. We don't approach them with cognitive biases. We don't approach them with partiality. What can we do to make every effort to make sure that this sin is purged from our heart, from our mind. My goal is that in the end of this lesson this afternoon, that we will be able to be sure that in our life that partiality is driven far from us. And so when we go into our homes and when we go into our schools, when we go into our communities and when we go abroad and engage with our friends and our family and our relatives, we can be sure that having looked into the perfect law, into the perfect law of liberty, that partiality is driven far from us. My prayer this afternoon is that of all the things that God's people are, that they will certainly not be partial. Two things I want to do this afternoon. First of all, what is partiality? I want to read James chapter 2, verses 1 and following with you. And then I want to address several ways that we can purge partiality from our lives. Let's first of all look at James chapter 2 and verse 1. Notice the text. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever 
uh, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as the one, uh, excuse me, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What is partiality? I want us to, as we think about this text, to, to kind of trace through some, some notions that James is getting at throughout the entire book of James for just a moment. We're going to zero in in this selection of chapter 2, but I want us to ask this question about the background that, that James is getting at in terms of how he discusses this notion of partiality. Playing into this discussion, as we broaden out from the text, there is this idea that came over from the Hebrew into the Greek when we start looking at this notion of partiality. In the Hebrew, there is a phrase that is a phrase that refers to lifting up the face. And originally, this idea referred to a person's face that would confront someone. They may go from a position of prostration, and then upon rising, you would see the face. And so originally in the Hebrew, this idea carried with it the idea of something being a virtue. But then as we move from the Hebrew, and then the Hebrew uh, was translated into the Greek, and you move to the time of the first century, and they would be reading from what was known as the Septuagint. This idea that is in the text, uh, this word that we're looking at in terms of uh, 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 partiality, came to mean in time something different. It came to mean a preferential of treatment of the face. And so you can look at different sources and things that, that would indicate what this word is meaning. But here's what one, uh, one reference would say this word partiality means. An inclination, an inclination to favor one group or view or opinion over alternatives, especially considered as an injustice. So this Greek idiom. We move from the Hebrew into the Greek, and this is this Greek idiom, which means, as one source says, literally to accept a face, to make unjust distinctions between people by treating one person better than another, to show favoritism, to be partial partiality. In the New American Standard, what this word is translated as is as personal favoritism. In another translation in the New Jerusalem Bible, as class distinction. In Harper's New Testament commentary, discrimination between people. This idea, what does it mean to be partial? Well, it carries with it this idea of favoritism, this idea of being biased, this idea of, of paying respect to a face that, based on some external characteristic that might be involved in that. You look in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 6, and there's a, a nuance of that word, but in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 6, when Peter uh, when Paul confronted Peter to his face because of his partiality, you can see that this grievous sin is going on there. And if you were to translate it literally in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 6, you could translate it as this. God does not receive or God does not take face. It's paying a respect, a preferential treatment towards the face. Well, how do we unpack that? I want to say this just by way of discussion as you look in your Bibles 
this afternoon. In the old King James, the King James uses a phrase known as respect for persons. So while the New King James would say partiality and the ESV would say partiality, the old King James would say respect for persons. And if you were to think about what the King James meant by that versus what other uh, translations mean by it today, you would understand that when the King James uses the phrase respect of persons, it's not referring to it as a virtue, but it's referring to respect of persons as a vice. It's something that ought not to be done. Respect of persons in the King James means something that ought not to be done. So just to kind of put this into context, if you go back into the 1970s in the United States, coming out after World War II, after the Nuremberg trials, there was a big focus in America on how people are treated when it comes to medical research, scientific research. If you go back into the 70s, there was a report that came out known as the Belmont Report. It deals with how human subjects or human participants are to be treated in research. There were three main moral principles in that Belmont Report. One of those principles in the Belmont Report in the 1970s was this principle of respect of persons or respect for persons. The other principle was known as beneficence. The third principle was known as justice. But here's this research principle that is, uh, is still used and relied upon in medical research today. This idea of respect of persons in the 1970s and following was one really that was a virtue, that you treat people with dignity, you treat people with honor, you don't treat them like animals, like monkeys or rabbits, like you would treat them in research. You treat them with dignity and respect. And one of the principles in treating per a person with dignity and respect is this whole notion of informed consent. Why do I say all that? Well, I say all that because this. The word or the phrase here, respect of persons, in the King James means a vice. But as we understand it today in English, it, it's come to mean a virtue. And so when you think about the word partiality, I just want to kind of throw that out there in terms of our understanding. Now, let's look in James chapter 1 for just a moment and to try to really get a picture of what's going on in James chapter 2, let's kind of broaden out our perspective for just a moment in terms of what James is saying about the rich. James has some things to say. He has some rather scathing things to say about the rich. And he's, he's challenging those, those Jewish Christians about how they're treating, how the rich are treating folks and this, in, this partiality that has arisen in, their, in that historical context. In James chapter 1, and verse, verses 9 through 11, it would say this, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower fails and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. When we think about what James is talking about when he speaks of the rich in chapter 2, there is certainly a very problematic context in which the rich are engaging in various activities in that first century culture. 
what is it? What is it that's going on in that context that's, that's problematic? Well, it could be that the, that the rich are holding on to the, and, and the people are, are, are valuing the rich in such a way that, that the souls of the rich people are at stake because money's going to pass away. And this idea can play into various contexts. Move down in James chapter 1 and look at James chapter 1, verse 25, 27. It says, pure religion is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Think about widows and orphans. Could they not also be poor? You see, there is this class distinction, if you will, that, that is going on in the first century there among the dispersion, among the, these Jewish Christians. And God is saying that there's a problem here, and it's a problem of partiality. In James chapter 2, as we look at that immediate context, in James chapter 2 and verse 1, notice this, that you cannot hold the true faith and be partial at the same time. Whatever this partiality is that James is speaking about, you cannot be faithful and be partial at the same time. What is it? What precisely is this partiality? Well, if we keep reading, we see that it's a, a, a blinding matter going on in the text. It's, it's a cancer that needs to be eradicated. This, this problem is one that divides and doesn't unite. It separates rather than bringing people together. What is the problem, James? Verse 3, it's paying attention to the rich person over the poor. What's going on, James? Well, it's making a distinction whereby a person becomes a judge with evil thoughts. So, so here's a, a rich person, and based upon their external attributes, on their clothing, on their attire, they are given a position of privilege, a position of honor, and this poor at the same time is given a, a place of dishonor. And James is saying this sin is egregious. This sin must be eradicated. This sin must be driven far from us. Look at verse 5. Look at God and how he deals with this. God chose the poor to be rich in faith. Does that not play into our thoughts when it comes to partiality? Laying up the rich here in this context are laying up treasures of condemnation rather than treasures in heaven. And so we see in this context what, that the rich, and look at verse 6, the rich are oppressing. They're dragging people into court. They're dishonoring the poor. Verse 7, they're blaspheming the honorable name. We see that there's some, some serious problems among these rich people that James is addressing. Flip over to chapter 3, and notice chapter 3 and verse 17, what the text says. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits impartial and sincere. What do we know about God? Of all the things that God is, God is not partial. And the wisdom that flows from God in his nature, it's impartial too. Partiality is not part of his nature. Look at James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, and James is dealing with the rich and the injustices that, that go on there. They're defrauding the poor. They're holding back wages. They've lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. And James says they fatten their hearts in a day of slaughter. You see the big picture of what's going on with this. So what is this partiality? 
This partiality that James is speaking about is one of unjust discrimination. It's an exaltation of the rich, and it is a a discrimination against the poor based on some external characteristic. The basis of their favoritism, the basis of their partiality, is the gold rings and the fine clothing uh, of the rich, and also at the same time the shabby clothing of the poor. It is a preferential treatment. It is exalting the rich to a place of prominence, and God says, no uncertain terms that these things ought not to be so. There they have become judges with evil thoughts. That's what this partiality is all about. Now, James is not going to just leave it here, right? He's identified the problem. It's this problem of favoritism. It's this problem of partiality. It's this problem of discrimination. So when we think about what partiality is, now James gives us some solutions on how to deal with it. And the rest of the time, I want to try to help us see what those solutions are. Number one, James tells us that one of the solutions to this problem and this sin of partiality is the royal law. What exactly is the royal law, James? Well, it's this principle that we know of as the golden rule, this loving our neighbor as ourselves. And when we think about the the extent of fairness and equity in the public sphere this afternoon. Justice is certainly one component of how we should treat people. We should be fair. We should be honorable. We should be gracious. We should be loving. We should be merciful in our dealings and in our exchanges with other people. But the royal law calls for something even more. What is it? You see, the royal law is not saying that the way we ought to treat our neighbor is how we have been treated historically. The royal law is not one of of a historical nature. It's not one of reciprocation. It's not how have people treated you in the past, therefore now you need to treat them like they have treated you. It's not the rule of reciprocation. It's not the rule of of historicity. It's not the one that says, how have they treated you in the past? And therefore, you're going to treat them how they have treated you. No, the royal law calls for something greater than that. It's not retrospective. It's not reciprocal in nature. In Luke chapter 6, verse 32, the Bible would say this, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. You see, the royal law is prospective in nature. It looks forward. It looks forward and says, okay, I'm not going to treat you. Maybe if you've treated me with persecution or treated me unjustly, or maybe if you've been unfair to me, or maybe if you've been unkind to me, I'm not going to return that to you. No, I walk by a higher law. I walk by a higher calling. I walk according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this gospel, we know how Jesus was treated. For our sins and our iniquities, right, he bore. Right? He wasn't treated fairly. So the royal law says, I'm going to walk to, to a nobler and a higher plane. I'm going to be impartial. I'm going to follow Christ like he walked before me. I'm going to walk in his steps. And when he was treated unfairly, 
Guess what he did? He walked to this higher plane, right? Loving our neighbor as ourself. We understand that the Bible multiple times will cry out against injustice. You look in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 8 and 9, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Micah chapter 6, verse 8, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. The answer to partiality is to believe and devote ourselves wholly, unapologetically, to walking to a greater cause. And because Jesus walked that way, we too can walk that way. The answer to partiality is, is obeying the royal law, number one. Number two, this afternoon, as we think about how we can deal with this sin of partiality, how to purge partiality. Let me say this, and I, I want to be very careful in how I say that this, this afternoon. God is a God of favor, not a God of favoritism. God is a God of favor, not a God of favoritism. Now, one of the things that Satan does in our world this afternoon is he tries to blur the lines between favor and favoritism. What do I mean? You and I this afternoon have a lot of different relationships that we likely have in our everyday life. There are certain people that we favor, and rightly so. Who are they? How do we favor them? Number one, we certainly extend our favor, our gratitude, our graciousness, our praise to the God of heaven. We favor him. Among all the false worship that exists in our world this afternoon, we favor God, the one true God of heaven. We look around and we favor at times, and we should. We should honor the emperor, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. We should show favor to him, to the leader of our nation, to the governors and people in high positions. We should certainly pray for them. We must favor our families, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. If we do not provide for our relatives or for our household, we have denied the faith. We must favor husbands. We must favor our wives. We must love her as Christ loves the church. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. Wives must also favor their husbands and submit to them. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22. We must obey our leaders, our elders, for they watch over our souls. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. Children must honor and obey their parents, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. We should favor the elderly and honor them, Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 32. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. We should favor the fatherless, the widows, and their affliction. We should favor all, Galatians chapter 6 verse 10. especially those of the household of faith. Favor. Extending favor to those around us. What then 
if we should favor these individuals, these relationships, what then is favoritism? When do the lines get blurred? What is Satan after when, when he wants us to be partial? When he wants us to engage in bias or prejudice or favoritism? Favoritism is inequitable. It is unjust. The favoritism that we see in James chapter 2 is one that observes some external attributes of people and then makes a person, upon observing those external attributes, they then become evil judges and say, okay, maybe if I gain the favor of this person, well then, uh, it may may better my plight in life, right? And maybe if I dishonor this other person that, that it's not that big of a deal. You see, that's what favoritism is, according to, to James chapter 2. Favoritism is showing this partiality. If God were partial, and he's not, but if God were partial, it would mean that salvation was not for everybody, right? But salvation is for everybody. God is not a partial God. His wisdom is not partial. His wisdom is impartial. God wants the whole world to be saved, John chapter 3 and verse 16. Jesus atones for the sins, not just for the few, but for the sins of the whole world, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. God wants all people everywhere to repent, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. His grace has appeared to all men, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. God is not biased. God is not prejudiced. What's a prejudiced person do? Well, a prejudiced person makes up their mind before they hear the facts. Nah, I've already reached a conclusion. Well, don't you want to hear? No, I made up my mind. In a court of law, you've got to drive judges away that are prejudiced. You've got to drive juries away that have already made up their minds before they've even heard the evidence that's put before them. Partiality. What areas, we might ask this afternoon, would be some areas where we might be partial or where we could be partial? Well, if we look back into the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse 19, we would see that bribes and gifts blind the eyes of people. It perverts justice. Intimidation and fear, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 17 reads, You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. In the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. Where does partiality raise its head? Well, it raises its head in appearances. It raises its head when, when we think about fear. You know, well, I'm afraid if I... If I if I hold on to truth, this might be what happens to me. A person might be partial because of fear. A person might be partial because of appearances. John chapter 7, verse 24, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Where else might partiality raise its head? Leviticus chapter 19, verse 15 says this, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. What's the take-home message there? 
Leviticus chapter 19, verse 50. How might you and I become an evil judge? Well, you could become an evil judge if you prefer the rich because they're rich, because of their rings or their clothes or something like that. You could also prefer the poor merely because they're poor. Both of those are misguided. You could also be an evil judge if you discriminate against the rich because they're rich. Well, you know, all rich people, they, they got it by stepping all over people. Well, that's not true, right? So a person could be an evil judge if they discriminate against a person merely because they have money. That would be a, a bad way to judge. Uh, also, it would be evil if I discriminate against the poor merely because they're poor. So we've got to look into the perfect law of liberty. We've got to be the kind of people that God wants us to be. Number three, quickly uh, here, when we think about how we can deal with partiality. What is it? How do we deal with it? Number three, how do we deal with it? We must openly evaluate our perceptions, our assumptions, and our presumptions. We must openly and even brutally honestly evaluate our perceptions, our assumptions, and our presumptions. What do I mean? When you think about perceptions, perceptions are how I receive input from the world by our five senses, right? What I experience, what I see, what I taste, what I touch, what I hear. These are our senses, right? Think about this. Sometimes our perceptions can be off. And what we thought we saw, we heard, we smelled are actually not the case. Think about this. Imagine if I had an allergy to a flower this afternoon. Let's say, just for the sake of illustration, that I had a, an allergy, an allergic reaction to sunflowers. And let's say it's a given Sunday morning and one of our good sisters came in and, and changed out the flower arrangements and all of a sudden, instead of uh, maybe lilies or baby's breath or whatever flower arrangement might be there, all of a sudden, here are some sunflowers. My nose starts to get itchy. My eyes start getting watery. I get that post-nasal drip, and I start, start sneezing. And you think, wow, what's going on? Only to find out that the sunflowers, they were artificial. <laughs> That's called a psychosomatic response. Right? My perceptions were that, that they, these were certainly, you know, real sunflowers. And now my perception of these things turned out to have, I turned out to have a true, a physiological response. Not a true allergy, by the way, but I had this physiological response to something that, that my mind thought was certainly a sunflower. My perceptions, right? Our perceptions can be off at times. My assumptions, when I think about assumptions, assumptions are things that I take to be true and there may not be proof behind them. My presumptions are starting points in my life. I may start with the presumption of something. For example, in courts of law, there is the presumption of innocence until proven guilty. If you were accused of first-degree murder, it would be the obligation of the state 
to prove beyond a reasonable doubt, to present evidence according to the accusation that you have, in fact, committed a crime. That crime would be first-degree murder. And you would be presumed innocent until the facts are presented. And then, once those facts are presented and it's shown that you did, in fact, commit the crime, then you would be convicted of it. Presumption of innocence. Presumptions are starting points. How does this apply to James and uh, purging partiality? My perceptions can certainly be off. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Jeremiah 17 verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Remember Saul of Tarsus? He thought what he was doing was right, didn't he? He was persecuting Christians, putting them even to the point of death. When Stephen died, he's holding the coats, those who committed the offense. Our perceptions, our assumptions, and our presumptions can certainly be misguided. What does it take, and how do we deal with that in a way that honors and glorifies God? It's important at times to stop in humility and say, you know, I hear what you're saying. Maybe I need to take another look at this. Maybe I need to pause for just a few moments and I need to pray about this and I need to make sure as I look into the perfect law of liberty and as I look into the word of God and as it judges my perceptions, my assumptions, and my presumptions, I need to reflect on those things. And if they don't align with the will of God, God help us to make sure that we get back into his graces and into his favor. We want to drive partiality far from us. The perfect law of liberty, it's how we do it. It's this royal law that we must live out. I want to end in the couple minutes I have left by, by challenging us this afternoon. I grew up in a time and an era when there are certain causes that were really not things that I thought a whole lot when I was growing up. I know we have a, a brother in this congregation, Brother David Chang, who works with the college ministry here at Lehman Avenue. Western Kentucky University, I guess, is in your backyard. A lot of causes that they may be thinking about that I was raised not really thinking a whole lot about. For example, climate change. When I grew up, I didn't think a whole lot about climate change. I read recently that there is a, a mass of plastic floating out in the Pacific Ocean that's more than twice the size of the state of Texas. If I'm not careful, if I'm not careful because I grew up not thinking a whole lot about it, I could be dismissive of it. It doesn't mean that I have all the answers to how to deal with it. But I think there are certain causes that go on in our world today that we need to be careful and delicate, not be like the bull in the china shop, not be like the person that comes in with dynamite. We need to be people that are quick to hear and slow to speak. 
because we want to be people that care about this world to the extent, even the created world, so that the next generation is able to enjoy some of the things that you and I do. May God, as he deals with us in our life, be gracious to us. And may we not be people that engage in favoritism, but may we be certainly people that engage in favor and love. When you think about this, that there are certain things that, and certain relationships that we must certainly defer to. All partiality, it involves deferring in an unjust way or an unjust way, but not all deferring is partiality. That's the difference between favor and favoritism. May God help us not to be partial. May God help us to be the Christians he wants us to be, and to uphold his truth, to live out the light of Christ, and so that when we go into those communities and into our homes and into the public sphere, that we hold, uphold the light of Christ and never, never with partiality stand in the way of the cross. God bless you.